Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. In this series, we discover that God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Based in 2 Peter 1, we will explore God's invitation to participate in His divine nature in ways that we can cultivate a fullness of life. Here's today's message. Good morning. It's my privilege to read scripture with you this morning, so please turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. You can read along with me in your Bibles, or the sermon notes, or the words on the screen. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been here through the summer, have you heard those words before? This is a passage we're trying to really have a sense of living into uh, in our summer preaching series, and we're delighted that you're here to join with us. Back in the year 2007, Mark Buchanan, the author, pastor, and Bible teacher, whom some of you know personally from his time uh, serving at a church in Duncan, uh, Mark wrote a book on this very passage that we're studying. It's a book called Hidden in Plain Sight. He opens his chapter on the topic of perseverance with an illustration that caught my attention, so I wish to share it with you. He begins this chapter this way. Gracie Allen, a one-time vaudeville actress and the wife of George Burns, wisecracked and slapsticked her way into America's heart. She was a comic, both on and off the air, famous for her pranks and practical jokes. Sometimes people returned in kind. One day, a parcel arrived from a friend, special delivery. Inside was not a pair of silk gloves or a ruby-crusted brooch or a jeweled hairpin from Park Avenue. Inside was a baby alligator, wriggling and snapping, but still too small to do much harm. Gracie was heading out the door as it worked out just at that moment, and she was flustered about what to do with the little carnivore. She put it in the bathtub, walked out the door, and forgot about it completely. When she arrived back home, she found a note on the counter. It was from her maid, her housekeeper. It read, Dear Mrs. Allen, I quit. (laughs) 
I don't work in a house with alligators. I should have told you this when I started, I just never thought it would come up. I quit. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us here in this room have either said those words with feeling or have really felt like saying those words. The reality of human life is that in this broken world in which we live is that sometimes alligators show up and make life difficult. Well, as we begin our exploration of the notion of perseverance this morning, I'd like to invite us each in our own hearts to do an alligator identification exercise. What kinds of pressures, what kinds of struggles, what kind of difficulties, what kinds of conflicts, what kind of discouragements can you think of, either in the past, or for some of you very much in the present, which make you really want to say, I quit. I suspect for most of us, something is coming to mind. You know, I've had the privilege of serving quite a large portion, not all of it, but quite a large portion of my adult life working in what they call full-time Christian ministry. It may, to some, maybe not, but it may seem some to be a bit glamorous from the outside. But right now, I'm thinking of many times through that experience when I have felt quite a strong impulse to be a truck driver. <laughs> Never done it before. It's kind of a bucket list thing for me, but, but uh, it just feels like sometimes trucks are a little less complicated than people or something. What is it for you? What is it that, that gives you this sense of wanting to say, I've had enough, I quit? Well, with these alligators in our minds, let's turn our attention to the words that Peter has for us this morning. Second Peter chapter one and verse five, which was read to us. Let's just read the section that's, that we've started down this list over the last few weeks. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Another translation says, supplement your faith with goodness to goodness add knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and for today, to self-control, Peter says, add this word, perseverance. Well, let's use the following roadmap for our conversation, all right? Think, listen carefully to the, the main headings, all right? Let's talk first about the meaning, then let's talk about the problem, the meaning of perseverance, the problem with perseverance, and then I have a section called context and power. What I mean by that is the context of perseverance and the power behind perseverance. And then I wanna finish, fourthly, talking about the perseverance of God. And here's a spoiler alert. We're shaping the thoughts of our message today towards this table that's beside me here, the table of communion, where we're attentive to Jesus And we want to observe some of the writing of the book of Hebrews where it says that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? 
he endured the cross, despising its shame, right? He endured the most, the most awful suffering known to humans on our behalf. He did that for us. And he did this not only as an ultimate example, because I think he stands as an ultimate example of perseverance for us, but he also did, that, did this work here at the cross as a means of reshaping and giving ultimate purpose to our perseverance. Let's discover that this morning. So, in the first place then, let's talk about the meaning of perseverance. And let's begin immediately by discovering that the New Testament uses two words for the concept of perseverance. Words that are very closely related in meaning, and they complement each other. So here they are. I don't often use Greek words here. I'm not a Greek specialist, but this is what they are, apparently. Uh, Hupomone is one, and here's what it means. It means remaining under. All right, remaining under difficulties without succumbing. Macrothumia is a similar word, but it has a slightly different emphasis. It's the long endurance that does not retaliate. The second word, macrothumia, is most often translated patience or long suffering. And there's quite a few instances, if you look in the New Testament, that describe Jesus that way, and we'll, we'll look at a little bit of that later. Hupomone is the word that Peter's using here in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's the idea of remaining under, remaining under difficulties without succumbing. Okay, so let's take the meaning of this word remaining un- under and apply it to the alligator's we've identified. So let's say that just at this moment, you're really feeling the urge to say, I quit. And Peter comes along and he says, remain under. How do you feel? So let's go to our second main point here and talk about the problem. What's the problem with perseverance? I wanna talk about the problem of perseverance in three areas. First of all, talking about it. Second of all, doing it. And then we discover that perseverance by itself isn't enough, right? So first of all, the problem with perseverance is talking about it. I am very aware this morning, as I stand up here in front of you, and I talk about staying under some horrible circumstances that perhaps you're enduring even right now, that my words can be not very encouraging to you. In fact, they could sound the opposite of encouraging. You might quite justifiably say, Phil, you have no clue what I'm going through right now. You have no clue of the intensity or the extent of my sufferings right now. And that's absolutely true. You might say, sure, it's easy for you to say, just hang in there and remain under and persevere. You don't understand. Talking about it is difficult. And let me be very quick to say that my intent this morning in talking about perseverance is in no way to minimize the difficulty 
or the degree of suffering that you may be experiencing today. It's not my intent at all. But let me also say this. I believe that this conversation about the idea of perseverance is critically important for us because by thinking well about perseverance, I believe that each of us can develop a more robust theology of suffering. All right, don't be scared off by the term theology of suffering. All I'm simply trying to say by that is each of us can develop a more healthy way of saying, of thinking in advance before the sufferings come and saying, how will I respond when that health diagnosis comes in or somebody close to me dies or I have this conflicted relationship? How will I respond? I believe a, a robust theology of suffering helps us to prepare and helps us to face suffering in a more healthy way. The second problem with perseverance is not just talking about it. The second problem with perseverance is actually doing it, right? It's hard sometimes. It doesn't need too much explanation. Probably we've all, we've all felt this urge to quit and to do something different because of opposition that we're facing. There's a saying that we know, right? When the going gets tough, what happens? Right, and how often do you really feel that tough? I'd rather say when the going gets tough, just show me where the emergency exit is, right? It's, uh, it's that urge to flee. It's that urge to skip out. The third problem with perseverance is that it's not enough by itself. And let me just explain what I mean by that. Two weeks ago when we talked about knowledge, we, we said at that time, knowledge doesn't really live well by itself, right? Remember that? It needs, it needs love beside it because otherwise knowledge just puffs you up, right? So perseverance also doesn't live well, well by itself. It needs companions. Think this through with me. Perseverance urgently needs companions like knowledge and wisdom and discernment because there are times, there are times, there are circumstances in our lives where the best decision is to get out. That's the best decision, that's the wise decision, right? So what we discover as we think about perseverance is that it's, it's important, but it's not the king. Let's think about a couple of examples. We might think, for example, of a, a situation or a relationship that is particularly toxic and abusive, where there's risk of evident harm, and it may, in the big picture of things, be the best decision to step out of that situation. It may not be toxic at all, but it may be difficult, and it still may be that in the grand scheme of things, as you're talking with God about it, it makes the most sense to step out of here and step into here as God leads and directs you. I believe that a robust theology of suffering and understanding of perseverance and how to put it into practice in our lives can help us to resist that first impulse to escape, the first impulse to run away. But also a robust theology of suffering does not make blanket statements about all scenarios, but rather it seeks God's wisdom to know how God would invite us to respond in the different kinds of situations of suffering in which we find ourselves.
If you were here during the month of uh, May and months of May and June, you were here when Tom Cowan was leading us through the letters in the book of Revelation, uh, letters from Patmos, we called it. Uh, there's one letter I want to refer to this morning, uh, just to say very clearly from scripture that perseverance by itself is not enough. This is the letter to the church in Ephesus. And uh, this is what John is writing. These are the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Look at what they say. This is Revelation chapter two, verses three and four. Jesus says to this church, you have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's good, right? That's a good thing. But. Jesus goes on to say, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Perseverance by itself isn't enough. And so we turn a corner to talk about context and power. We've seen so far the meaning, we've seen some problems of perseverance. Let's talk about the context of perseverance and the power behind perseverance. Last week we spent some time showing that in the, in the context of self-control, uh, or when we talked about self-control, we talked about how the context of self-control makes all the difference in the world. And today I wanna suggest the same thing is true for perseverance. I won't go over all the same ideas we went over last week, but let me give you a refresher, or perhaps it's new information if you weren't here last Sunday. We put up this graphic to describe the, the qualities that we, we find in 2 Peter chapter one. And what we notice in large print at the bottom, we find what word? And at the top we find, those are the key elements in this whole list we, 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 we observed, right? And we observed the, from some commentators, it helps us to see that, that everything needs to be rooted in faith. It's add to your faith, it's supplement your faith, it's let these qualities of life grow up from your faith and it's also love then infects all of it, covers all of it, infuses all of it. Perseverance by itself can be learned. Just like self-control, right? We, we talked about through this, the study of Stoicism, right? When we look briefly at Stoicism, the, the teaching of Stoicism can teach you how to be more self-controlled than you are today. And there are theories, self-improvement theories of all kinds that will teach you how to face the struggles of life, will teach you how to respond well when life gets hard. And through those self-help teachings, you can learn to become a more persevering person. But what I wanna suggest to you is that those are not all bad ideas. And if you work at it, perhaps you can become better at perseverance, but what I wanna notice is this. If you remove, if you take the effort to persevere away from faith and love, then it's all your own effort again. But if you keep it connected to faith and love and to the whole story of the Bible, what you find is power that is not available otherwise, right? If you disconnect it, you miss out on one of the most beautiful and powerful stories known to mankind. Please think this through with me, okay? What is the one thing we need in order to persevere? What helps us persevere the most? I wanna suggest it's hope. Right? If we don't have hope, it's really, really hard to persevere, right? 
for what purpose, right? If we don't have hope that this suffering will be worth it in the end, if we don't have hope that one day wrongs will be made right, we can easily lose motivation. Recently, I listened to a sermon given by the late Tim Keller. He was using an illustration that fits here. Um, Perhaps you also heard it on the podcast, but uh, he said, imagine two men, and these details may not be exactly as he said it, okay? But anyway, it's the idea. Imagine two men who are conscripted to the same mindless, monotonous task, and they're both locked in a bare room together, and they're given the same monotonous assignment to sit for, for a full year, for 12 hours a day, and screw the widgets onto the wadgets. We don't know what those are, but it's simply a mindless task that these two men are given for a full year, 12 hours a day. One man is promised that if he successfully completes this year, he will be awarded an annual salary of $20,000. The second man is promised that if he successfully completes this year of mindless work, he will be awarded an annual salary of $2 million. Who has more motivation? Right, it's this sense we, we are pulled forward by Hope. Listen carefully, my friends. If you are a follower of Jesus, and if you have believed and received the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus, then you are an inheritor of what we sang about earlier. You're an inheritor of what the scriptures call a living hope. A living hope. And I want to suggest to you that if only you and I as followers of Jesus, if we could only grasp the significance of this living hope and keep it in view, it would provide all of the power that we need to persevere when God calls us to persevere. Under any setback, any suffering, any trial, Let me read a couple of scriptures to you that declare this hope in no uncertain terms. This is Peter again. Peter likes this theme of hope and trials together. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. This is how he opens his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance Look at this, an inheritance that can never, never perish, spoil, or fade. So the living hope is there. It's certain, Peter says. Let's, let's look, go to the next slide and see how he carries on. Verse 3 of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith, right? There's the faith, the gift that we receive by believing and receiving, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Peter likes this idea of God's power, doesn't he? You are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You get the picture here? It's this hope that's there. It's certain it's not going to fade away in the midst of the grief and the suffering now. It's the hope that gives us courage and ability to persevere. 
Now, let's think about this living hope. What does it look like? Come with me to the very end of the story of Scripture. The Apostle John is writing the, the, the book of Revelation, as you know, and at, right towards the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, and I'm just going to choose some of the phrases from Revelation 21, but John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen to this. If you're crying a lot these days, if you're facing something that's very severe these days, listen to these words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more, te- there will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. My friends, this is our living hope. If we could only grasp the significance of this living hope and keep it in view, I believe it would provide all the power that we need to persevere under any setback, suffering, or trial. This again, this is the big picture. This is the big picture of the story of the Bible. This is the trajectory of history. And again, all of this leads us to the very center of the story of the Bible, which is pictured right here on this table of communion. And here I'd like to talk for a few moments before we have communion about the perseverance of God. Think with me about the perseverance of God on two levels. First of all, in the big picture, what we see as we read through the story from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see God's patient endurance and perseverance with us with rebellious humans, right? In the story of the Bible, we realize very quickly that the only reasons, the only reason that humans have for this living hope is because God did not say, as they could quite easily have said way back there in Genesis chapter three, when the humans rebelled against God and said, we don't want your way of living, we wanna reach out and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. We don't want you directing our lives, we wanna direct our own lives, thank you very much. God could have said, I quit. But he didn't. But he didn't. And then as we read through the biblical narrative, human rebellion against God in the biblical narrative, especially as you read through the Old Testament, is, is presented, human rebellion is presented in all of its crude reality, right? God gives them grace after grace after grace and humans keep rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and s- worshiping false gods and serving their own lusts and desires and not caring at all about the good God who made them. God would have been completely justified in annihilating the whole earth and all the people and starting over, but he didn't. Because God persevered with us. He persevered with humans. And God's God's patience and perseverance is shown ultimately in this middle portion of the Bible when Jesus comes and he comes to offer a way of rescue, a way of restoration, a way of reconciliation of relationship with the good God who made us. 
Let me think about two, let me read two key passages which reveal God's heart towards us rebellious humans. This is a very interesting verse, Romans chapter two, verse four. Romans chapter two, verse four, is Paul's asking a question here. Of course, the book of Romans is full of all kinds of good and deep theology here, but he's saying, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? Right? How in the world would we show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? Well, what is it? His kindness, forbearance, and patience, right? This cluster of words talks about how God is patient with us, right? He didn't reject us out altogether, but he's patient with our rebellion, and he's inviting us to repent and receive the gift of life. Paul's asking, do you show contempt for that forbearance and patience and perseverance, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Amazing question, isn't it? God's kindness. The fact that God hung in there with us humans and didn't wipe us out completely is an act of kindness. His kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Let me take you then to Peter again. Second Peter chapter three, a couple chapters on from where we're studying this summer. This second Peter three nine is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I think. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And in the context of second Peter three, people are saying, where is this coming he promised? It was, you know, in Peter's time it wasn't that long. In our day it's like more than 2,000 years and we might well say, where is this coming that Jesus promised? It's been so long, how will he ever come back? Peter says a day with the Lord is like 1,000 years, right? Just before this verse. But then he says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead he's what? He's patient, right? That's macrothumia, that second word we looked at earlier. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so in these verses, we get a snapshot of God's perseverance and patience with us rebellious humans. Second, very briefly, let's consider the perseverance of Jesus in paying this ultimate price for our redemption and rescue. And we read this verse earlier, but let me bring it to our attention again. The gift of our living hope, listen, my friends, the gift of living hope that we have, it came at the highest possible cost. The highest possible cost. Look what Hebrews 12, 2 says, the latter part of it, for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured, right? Even in the face, we read in the chapter or two earlier of how in the garden as he's weeping about what is about to happen, what does he say to his father? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Even Jesus came to this point of saying, Father, this is really, really hard. I don't wanna do it but he did it. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And in between those two phrases, of course, we have the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, Jesus' ultimate proclamation, as we sung about earlier, of victory over death and sin forever. And so, you and I, as followers of Jesus, have been invited to this table. We've been invited by Jesus himself. And so let's take a few moments 
to take communion together. If you did not get one of these uh, cups, if you would just raise your hands, the ushers will bring some to you. There's a couple people here. Yeah, just keep your hand up high. The ushers will find you uh, for these little combo cups that we're using for communion these days. Let me just say, if you are a follower of Jesus, we, we warmly invite you to welcome, to, to, to join with us in this meal of remembrance. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not sure what the symbols mean, there's no, there's no shame in not doing it, but we invite you to ask questions. We invite you to, to discover the beauty of this story that these symbols represent. So let's focus our thoughts as we think to that night before Jesus went to the cross. The night before he went, he was sitting with his friends around the table at that Passover meal, and he took bread. And he said, this bread is my body. This bread is my body, which is for you. And the scriptures tell us that he broke it, and he passed it around. And he said, take and eat. And as you eat, remember. Remember this ultimate price that I paid for the greatest gift of all, the gift of living hope. So Lord, as we take this bread in our hands, we ask you, Lord, to help us to worship you with our whole hearts, Help this not to be just another ritual, but let it be that our hearts are full of worship and adoration and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The bread is in the very top part of the cellophane on the, on the, on the cup there. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, we read in 1 Corinthians, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the foundation of our new relationship with the good God who made us. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, For whenever, this is Paul's commentary on this, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Lord, we ask that you will humble our hearts as we remember the ultimate sacrifice that was paid by Jesus. Fill us with worship. 
and help us, Lord, to find the power of living hope in our lives because you endured the cross. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. I'd like to invite the music team to come back to the stage. And as they come, I'd like to read a couple of passages that will transition us to the singing of this final song. I'd like to take us first of all to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, which is an amazing verse about this idea of perseverance. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, is in a context that's in the context of, it comes after Hebrews 11, right? Makes sense. Hebrews 11 is about what? It's about all these characters who showed faith in their lives. And some of those characters showed faith in the midst of some of the greatest struggles. Let me read just a couple of these things. Uh, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, the writer of Hebrews says. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These are friends in years gone by who suffered. And now the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by this, such a great cloud of witnesses. How should we respond? Well, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. This we've read already. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm not sure what your life experience is today. Perhaps this isn't the moment of suffering, but you've had it in the past. Perhaps today is the moment of suffering. And particularly if that's the case, I want to... I pray that God would have taken these words to bring you courage and hope. Hope is what we need to continue to persevere. Let's read just a little bit more about this hope as we come to a close. Let's go again to the very, very last chapter of our Bibles. This is Revelation 22. This is the description of what John sees there right at the very end of time. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What an incredible picture, right? No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. This is the picture of what is coming. It's the river of the water of life. He goes on in, in the next couple of verses. He says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or of the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. There's some mysterious things about that picture. 
but it is a living hope. And it's a living hope that we receive because of what Jesus did. It's my prayer that this living hope would give us a sense of finding power to persevere. Maybe it's right now through suffering. Maybe it's in the future through suffering that's gonna come our way. But let it be that. As we close, we often close with a quiet song of meditation. I would like us to celebrate this new life because we have a river of the water of life pictured here. So I pray that as we sing this song with some enthusiasm, that perhaps if you're going through a particularly difficult time, it would give you courage, it would give you hope. But let's stand and celebrate what God has given us through our faith in Jesus. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.